Romans chapter 2. They did so well, and then they got right outside the door, held the door open, and stood there and talked. <laughs> Romans chapter 2, we're going to start in uh, verse 1, and if you're taking notes, point number 1, there's lots of points and subpoints in this one, don't let it confuse you. Number 1, judgment by the hypocrite. Judgment by the hypocrite, and let me make a statement right here at the beginning. There are those who would say that if you offer advice to them, you're judging them. And, of course, uh, if you've ever tried to help somebody uh, as a Christian, you know that that's often true, and sadly, so it shouldn't be. Um, you're trying to help them, and they say, you're just judging me. Um, there are others that say you're judging them if you quote Scripture or you show Scripture to them. Why are you judging me? I'm not. I'm trying to help you. Here's some Scripture. Uh, if it helps you, great. If it doesn't, okay. Uh, just trying to help. Uh, again, do that when God leads you to. Don't do it because you want to or you think that they need something. Uh, know that it's what God wants you to do. God's leading you to do it. But those are the signs of a guilty conscience. Those things are not judgment. Um, God's Word judges. God's Holy Spirit judges. And by the way, we're supposed to. So when you hear those Christians that say, oh, don't you know we're not supposed to judge? That's wrong. Tell them to read the rest of that passage. Uh, God commands us to judge in the same passage, so that's not, not true. Um, but again, folks, a lot of folks don't know the Bible, and so they spout what they hear the world saying. Oh, you're not supposed to judge. Well, that's not true. Judgment by the hypocrite. Letter A, what he feels. Look there in Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. And by the way, those who say that uh, you're just judging me and they're all wound up over this judgment thing are usually people who are running off their feelings. So the first point is what, what they feel, what, what, what he feels, what this hypocrite feels. Look at Romans chapter 2 there in verse 1. Thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judges, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. The hypocrite feels that everyone else's sins are worse than his own. That's what the hypocrite does. Again, when we hear the word hypocrite, our fences go up and all of us say to ourselves, not me. Well, be careful. If you find yourself judging another Christian or pointing out the faults of another Christian or saying, well, I knew it and just... Uh, taking glory in the fact that that Christian fell or whatever. I mean, there's a multitude of different things that we do there. God says when we're judging them, and listen to me tonight, when we're judging them for their fault, God says you are literally doing the same thing. What we hold them in account for is what we are doing ourselves, just in a different vein. But we're doing the exact same thing. The hypocrite generally wants to compare himself to others that are worse than self. That's human nature, of course, but especially so with the hypocrite. They want to look at others who are worse so that they leave themselves looking good. The problem is they're using the wrong standard of measurement. That's not what God says we're supposed to judge ourselves by. God commands us, in fact, not to compare ourselves amongst ourselves. That's what Scripture says. We're not supposed to compare ourselves amongst ourselves. 
So when we as Christians look at that brother or sister and we see all their faults, God says you are wrong for doing that. You are wrong for comparing yourself spiritually against that brother or sister. You shouldn't be doing that. When God judges man, he's going to judge him by the standard set forth in his word. When God judges us, when we stand before the throne, he's going to take out the book. He's going to judge us according to this book. We better be judging ourselves in this life according to this book. He's already given us the cheat sheet, folks. We have all the answers to the test right here. We better be studying up on the, on, on the cheat test here, on the answer test, and know, yep, I got that, I got this, I'm doing that, I'm not doing that, I shouldn't be, and I'm not. That's what we better be doing because this is the book we're getting judged by. One of the writers said this, and he, he really nailed it. He said, the sin of the hypocrite is that of being indignant at other people's shortcomings and being indulgent of his own. Indignant of others' faults and indulgent of his own. Well, you know, I know I have shortcomings, and I, I have everybody has, and we always explain away ours. But the other person, how dare they? Don't they know? How can they not see that? It's so obvious. Mm -hmm. We look at David when Nathan confronted him. Nathan told him this story, and David gets all indignant. How dare he? You bring that guy to me. He's done. And he says, oh, that's you. Thou art the man. Oh, hmm, well, <laughs> and you know how that goes. And if you could go to somebody and you could tell them a story similar to that, and then when they start saying, yeah, that's not right, then you could say, that's, that's you, by the way. Oh, well, well, uh, uh. Mm -hmm. suddenly it's not so easy. The publican, <coughs> pardon me, the publican and the Pharisee praying over in Luke 18, you don't have to turn there, but the publican, the hypocrite, he's standing there saying, oh, Lord, so loud. I'm so glad I'm not like these other men. I'm so glad I don't do this and I don't do that. And what did the, what did the poor, uh, not, not the, the poor publican, the Pharisee was the one pounding his chest saying who he was. The publican says, just falls on his face and says, oh God, forgive me a sinner. Woe is me. He freely admits, yep, I'm full of faults. God, you have to help me. I can't do this. The other guy's bragging on the fact that he can do this. He's got this. He's done it all. He's, he's everything. And he, nope, you missed the whole point. You missed it all. Look over in Romans 2 and verse 1 again. Not only what he feels, but what he finds. Look at Romans 2 verse 1. Thou, th therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. And then skip down to verse 3. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Do you think you're going to escape God's judgment when, you're, when God says you and I do the same thing we're holding everybody else accountable for? Remember, all sins are categorized into those same three. Lust of the flesh, the lust of the sin, 
Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I can't talk tonight. My brain's swimming. All of our sins are all in those same groups. So what we're pointing out to everybody else, God says, hey, you're still doing those things. You do it in a different way, but you're doing these things. Everything you're judging them for, you're doing. We need to be careful. The hypocrite finds that his sin will find him out. He finds that what he sows, he's going to reap. There is an Indonesian story. First time I ever heard it, I thought, well, that's interesting. I don't know that I agree with every part of it, but it's interesting how they laid this out, this Indonesian story. According to this tale, an Indonesian farmer was returning to his village when he suddenly stopped on the jungle trail and stared ahead with growing alarm. Lying across the path, he could see a tiger's tail, and looking carefully, he could see that the tail belonged to a very large and fierce tiger. Now, you would think, common sense would say, let's back away and go the other direction. That's not how the tail goes, so just bear with the tail here. Acting on impulse, the farmer dropped his scythe, you know what they are, dropped his scythe and ran forward and grabbed the tiger by the tail. The tiger struggled to break free from the farmer's grasp, but he continued to hold on. The struggle went on for a while, and then just as the farmer felt he could hold on no longer, an Indonesian holy man came along the path. The Indonesian holy man surveyed the scene with interest and was about to pass on when the farmer called out to him, Dear holy man, he cried, please take my scythe and kill this tiger. I can't hold on to it much longer. The holy man sighed, my friend, that I cannot do. I am forbidden by the rights of my religion to kill any living thing. The farmer renewed his failing grip. But holy man, he said, don't you see? If you fail to kill this tiger, it will surely kill me. Surely the life of a man is more valuable than the life of a beast. The holy man folded his arms in the depths of his flowing robe. About that, he said, I cannot speak. All around me in the jungle, I see things killing and being killed. I'm not responsible for these things, neither can I help them. But for me to kill, ah, this I cannot do. Just then the tiger gave a vicious snarl and a ferocious pull on its tail. Sweat poured from the farmer. The holy man prepared to leave. Dear holy man, sobbed the farmer in despair, don't go. If it's against the rules of your faith to kill this beast, at least come and hold its tail while I kill him. The holy man paused and considered and said, I suppose I could do that. There can be no harm in holding the animal's tail. Cautiously, he approached the infuriated beast and joined the farmer in holding on to the tail. Do you have him, holy man, panted the farmer. Do you have him fast? Yes, yes, said the holy man. But hurry before he gets loose. Leisurely, the farmer brushed off his clothes. Slowly, he picked up his hat and put it on. With great deliberation, he picked up his scythe, then bowing to the holy man, the farmer prepared to leave. Hey, where are you going, demanded the suddenly alarmed holy man. I thought you were going to kill this tiger. The farmer paused, folded his arms in the sleeve of his coat and sighed, Dear holy man, he replied, you are a most excellent teacher. You have completely converted me to your most noble religion. I can now see how wrong I have been all these years. I cannot kill this tiger. For it is against the rules of our most holy religion. 
as you have taught me, all around us in the jungle, we see things killing and being killed. We cannot be responsible for these things. But for us holy men to kill, as you say, this cannot be. I am now going into the Andra village, so you will just have to hang on to this tiger till some coarser soul comes along, not so motivated by the high ideals of our holy faith. Perhaps you will be able to convert him too, as you have converted me. And with this parting shot, the farmer walked away. <laughs> oh, yes. Just like in that story, the hypocrite finds, you reap what you sow. It's coming back around to you. You can keep throwing those barbs out there, coming back around. Not only what he feels and what he finds, but what he forgets. Look at Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Oh, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. See, that's what we forget. We're only sorry, we're only repentant, and we only turn back to him because God is faithful to continue to work in our hearts. We don't do it because we're all that. We don't do it because we're so good, we're so righteous, we're so holy. No. We do it because God reaches out and we've learned to say, yes, you're right, God, I'm wrong. I shouldn't have done that. The hypocrite is an actor. His aim is to get all the focus off of himself and onto others' faults so that his own faults are not so easily seen. His problem is twofold. First, he's acting terribly to others around him, and we're not supposed to do that. But secondly, and more importantly, God, the one who really counts, knows your hearts, and he's not fooled. So though we can act all pious, we can act like we would never, God says we are, in fact, doing that exact thing. One of those three categories, we do it all the time. That's what they're doing, and we're judging them for it. We're looking down our nose at them. Letter D, what he faces. What he faces. Look at Romans 2 and verse 5. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. That phrase there, treasurest up unto thyself, pictures the sinner storing away this huge pile of sins awaiting the day of judgment. What are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be repenting of those things. The world would try to say that if God did judge them and did cast them into the lake of fire, and I've heard the world say this, I've heard people in the world say this, then he's just a big bully, he's a big mean God, and I wouldn't want to serve that kind of God anyway. But God reminds us he's only giving us what we ask for. We've asked for this. When I used to have to correct my children, I asked them whose, whose, whose fault it was. They could try to give me any kind of excuse, and I always came back to, but whose fault really is it? And they had to admit, my fault. Why did I keep doing that? Because I wanted them to see you can't pass the blame to somebody else. Well, yeah, but if they wouldn't have done this, then I wouldn't have. No, 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 no. You are in control of your own actions. If you're not, that's your own fault. You need to fix that. Get that right with God. But you are ultimately in control of your own actions and reactions. So if somebody does this, they didn't make you do that. You chose to do that because they did this. 
deep down inside, you were looking for a reason to do that. When I first gave my life back to the Lord, there were things that I struggled from my past. My flesh was looking for reasons. Didn't have to give me a whole lot of reason to do certain things. You got to learn to say no to yourself. God reminds us here, he's only giving us what we're asking for. He's handing out righteous judgment for what we have already done. He didn't make us do it. No one else made us do it. We chose to do that action. And he's only giving out righteous judgment because we chose to do what we did. The hypocrite is usually very quick to pass judgment on someone else. But they don't even want to consider their deeds are wrong. Don't you dare bring up something to them about what they do. How dare you? Because that's not who they are. Folks, that's who we all are. And I said this last week. We as Christians need to be very careful about looking down our nose at, an, at another believer. Everything that they're doing, we are more, more than capable of that and much, much more. We should be praying for them. We should be interceding to God on their behalf. We should be trying to help them every chance that we get. But we cannot, we must stop this cutting down of other Christians. God is not pleased with that. It doesn't help anyone. I have something I want to share with that on, on Wednesday night, actually. So judgment by the hypocrite. Number two, judgment on the hypocrite. The hypocrite is judging others. Now judgment on the hypocrite. Again, there are some who read this passage, and, and, and they say, if someone's going to be saved, then they have to do these X, good, X number of good, good works. They have to do this, 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 and this, or they're not saved. Well, that's not true scripturally. The rest of scripture shows us, again, that that's not what this passage is referring to specifically here. This passage is all about judgment. Judgment is according to our works. Our salvation is strictly and very clearly in scripture by faith. Works are after salvation. Works are not a prerequisite or something that is proof of. They should be there, and they do show proof of salvation. But just because the works are absent doesn't mean the salvation was absent. That's what we need to understand. Salvation is at one point in time by faith. So look, judgment on the hypocrite, letter A, Judged according to his works. Judged according to his works. The reasons for a person's behavior there, look in Romans 2 and verses 7 and 8. To them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. So there's two different groups talked about here. Both groups have different reasons for the behaviors that they're doing. The first group strives to do what's right so that in the end, they receive good judgment for their behavior. The second group strives to serve, them, serve themselves or others that, aren't, that are wrong. <laughs> and they either don't believe or don't care about the judgment that's going to come. They think they're somehow going to avoid that judgment. Well, folks... God's not lying. God says he has to judge every sin. It's not an option. 
It's not, well, you'll, you're going to be the exception. Because you, most of the time, you're a pretty good Christian. It's just these few things here. That's not how God works. God says he has to judge every sin. He hates sin. But both, both groups have distinct reasons for doing what they do. Both are making choices, and both are willing to face the results. It's just the second group doesn't really, I don't think their mind really latches on to what they're actually going to face. The reasons for a person's behavior, the results of a person's behavior. Look at Romans 2, verse 9. Tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. You reap what you sow. If you sow good out of a pure heart, God says you reap good rewards, good judgment. If you sow bad out of a wicked heart, God says you reap the bad judgment. Because you did the bad acts, you get the bad judgment. If you do the good acts, you get the good judgment. But we're getting judged either way. The hypocrite's going to be judged not only for his works, but judged according to his worth. Look at Romans chapter 2. And God's judgment is discriminating there. He weighs a person's advantages. Did you know God holds us to a higher level, Christian? You can look down your nose at your neighbor. You can look down your nose at that newly saved Christian. Uh, you, can, you can look down your nose at, 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 at the rest of the world, your, your boss and the coworkers that you work with. God says, listen, you're held to a higher standard. You have more knowledge in what is right and wrong. So God holds you immediately to a higher standard. Look at Romans 2, verse 11. For there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. You have the law, you're going to be judged by it. If you know it, you're going to be judged by it. The Jewish people are going to be judged by the law. God's going to hold them accountable for the things that they know. And for those that still reject Christ, they're getting judged for that for sure, and they'll be cast into the lake of fire. Those who have the light have an increased responsibility because of their advantage. You know, we can, and this is how foolish it is, we as Christians sometimes look down our nose at the world and we say, I can't believe they do that, and how can they think that it's right? Or we look down our nose at that person that got saved and never grew in the Lord, and we say, that doesn't make any sense, I don't understand how they can live like that and think they're doing okay. Folks, they're going along with no light. They're in darkness, they don't have the light. We have the light. And how often do we trip up? We have the light. We hear the word preached regularly. We have the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. Most of us are probably doing our devotions on a somewhat regular basis. We're in touch with God in some sort probably every day for most of us, or at least some of us. I would like to think most of us. We have the light. And how often do we still trip and fall? How often do we sin? Sometimes willingly. And then how dare we look down our nose at the ones tripping and stumbling in the darkness. And we say, I can't believe. What's not to believe? I absolutely believe it. They don't have any light. They're going to trip over everything because they don't have any light. So they're going to continually trip and fall. That's why we're supposed to help them. We have the light. We're supposed to go give them the light. 
Those who have the light have an increased responsibility because of their advantage. People who have heard the gospel have more responsibility to its message than those that have never heard. You know, God weighs a person's attitudes also. Look there in verse 13. He says, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Now remember, he's talking here to the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews have come back. They want their church back. The Gentiles have been running it for years. And the Jews don't like how the Gentiles are running the church. They say, we don't do that. We have all these traditions. We have all these Old Testament things that we do. And we need to live like this. And the Gentiles are saying, wait a second. Jesus died on the cross. We need to be doing things this way. And they're having these, they're butting heads. God says here that the Gentiles, and he spoke this through them to them. He says, the Gentiles, which have not the law, they're being convicted in their hearts and they're living the right way because God is working in their heart. But you Jews, you guys have the laws and you're not even living according to the law that you have. You hold it. You read it every day. You read it to your children. You obey all these Old Testament things and you're checking off all these lists of things you need to do. You're still holding to all the points of the law, but you're not living it. So they're going to be judged for that. A person's conscience can help guide them. We've talked about this before. But a conscience cannot be relied upon alone because a conscience can be seared and often is seared. And if you ever burnt your skin, it gets like a hard plastic to it. I have on the back of this hand, there's a scar right, right there in the middle of my hand. And I've probably told this story before. But when I was a kid, I liked to play with fire like a lot of kids do in many different ways. And one of the ways we did, we had these, we used to build model cars. When you're building model cars, you have all these little squares and they hold all the pieces and you snap the pieces off and there's the little bars that go, little plastic bars that go around and have all the little tabs sticking down off where the parts were on. So what you do is you take those and you break them apart. Now you have big, long plastic bars that you can melt and do things with. And um, we were m melting them and making things out of them and all this. And, uh, and foolishly, there was three or four of us in the same thing, doing the same work. We all had our lighters and we're all burning this plastic. And I went to reach across for something and somebody else was just coming in with their nice hot plastic all ready to go. And they're dripping it in, and it went drip right on there and literally drip right through there and just melted right into my flesh. And I quickly pulled it off of there. And for the next few months, it was hard plastic. You could scrape it. You could tap on it. It was hard plastic. That's what our conscience is like. Our conscience often gets seared. When it's seared, nothing gets in there. God wants to, he's still trying to, but nothing gets in there. Meanwhile, these Christians, because they're saved, they're a child of God. If, God, if, if it's wrong, God's going to show me, not if your conscience is seared. How's your conscience get seared? When you start thinking about you and not about him. 
when you start making your decisions and God's not making the decisions for you. On and on and on. When we're not hearing God's word, we're hearing our own words and the words of our friends and whatever, like we talked about this morning, learned people. All those things contribute to a seared conscience. No longer is our conscience tender, drawing in whatever God gives to it. It's not anymore. It's hard. It's hardened. And that seared conscience, Christians don't even know that it's seared often. And we still think, if, if, if I'm doing wrong, God's going to convict me, so I guess this isn't wrong. No, it's still wrong. You just need to be in God's book. God's book will show you it's wrong. Stop doing that. God's Holy Spirit will be able to speak to you and convict you. But often when we're living for ourselves, we're not in the book like we're supposed to be. And when we are in there, it's an empty time. It's a time of just, yeah, I got to get through this chapter. Got to do my devotions. Got to be a good Christian. Do my devotions. But not so God can actually speak to me and actually change my life and actually do something through. No. We say we want that. But that takes work. That takes time. And that takes a dedication to him and making it about him and not about me. So a lot of Christians aren't willing to do that in their study. So meanwhile, our conscience gets seared. When our conscience is seared, we can't receive what God's Holy Spirit has for us. So we're waiting for God to say, don't do that. That's dumb. Don't do that. Stop doing that. And we never get that smack in the, in, in, in the back of the head. Why? Because the conscience is seared. So the Christian goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into sin, further off course from the Lord, because they're waiting for that smack in the back of the head from God that's never coming. He's trying to get their attention. Can't hear him. Conscience is seared. You cannot just let conscience be your guide, as some say. Oh, just let your conscience be your guide. It'll never fail you. Wrong. Wrong. It will always fail you if your conscience is not being guided by God's Holy Spirit. It will always fail you. Because if your conscience is not being guided by God's Holy Spirit, you know what it's being guided by? Me, the greatest thing on earth. And me's going to get me into a whole lot of trouble. Me's going to take me way off of God's path because me doesn't want the same thing that God wants. Be honest. I'm a pastor. I'm being honest right in front of you. Me doesn't want the same things that my God wants. Doesn't. God wants something totally different than us. That's why we need to give up me and say, God, whatever you want. That's why we need to be in God's word. We need to be in God's house. We need to be constantly being saturated by God's Holy Spirit. The water of God's Holy Spirit keeps us tender and soft. That's what we need. Otherwise, we get hardened. And we do it without even thinking. We don't even know it. There's a story of John Huss when he was burned at the stake. I know most Christians can't even fathom this. But there was a day when they, and if you read Fox's book of Barters, and Cammie came and shared that book with us for a while. We had it laying out there on the counter. Fox's book of Martyrs, and if you ever get a chance to read that, I encourage you to do it. When you read about what Christians have gone through, down, gone through for the Lord down through the centuries, it's, it's amazing. It really just tears you up when you think about it. John Huss was burned at, at the stake. There was a widow woman who had saved and saved and saved every penny she could to get a bundle of firewood 
and have it placed as close as she could to the feet of John Hook. She thought she was doing good. She saved every penny that she could save just so she could buy that pile of firewood and get it right up next to that guy's feet. Make it really hot. John Huss looked at her as they were lighting the fire and he asked her what he had ever done to her. She said, you're a heretic and it's a good work to give the wood for you to be burned. He's speaking truth. She didn't want to hear it. She says, you're a heretic. You're not preaching what I want to hear. This is what I want to hear. This is what's right. You don't want to do that? We're going to burn you, and I'm going to help with everything I can. And she literally saved every penny she could save just to get some more wood to put on that fire. You see, we can't just trust our conscience. We can't say, oh, conscience will be your guide. Don't worry about it. It'll be okay. No, it won't. No, it won't. John Huss's conscience said, I have to give my body to be burned. He could have denied God, denied Christ, denied all the faith, and walked away. Nope, can't do it. He said, I guess I'm going to have to give my body to be burned. That's okay. If that's what it takes from my Lord, that's what I'll do. The poor widow's conscience said, I need to buy some more wood to make the fire that much hotter. Both have a conscience. By the way, both absolutely convinced they're doing what is right. Only one of them really was. You know how I know who was? By this book. That's how I know. All these years later, I know who was doing it right. I know whose conscience was right because of this book. I don't have to know the man. He was doing it for these reasons. This is his reasoning. He wanted to please God. He said, listen, I'm not going to turn my back on God. I'm not going to deny the faith. doesn't matter what you do. If you want to burn me, have at it. I give my body to be burned. Have at it. It's just a shell anyway. I know who's right there. Not the poor widow woman. Yeah, but she was, she was so poor. And look, she saved. And she was, she was very well-meaning. Yes, she was. There's a lot of very well-meaning Christians going way down a really wrong path. And sadly, they don't even see it. Everybody around them sees it, but they don't see it. Their conscience is seared. One writer said this, conscience is not a guide, but a goad. Prod you. It must be educated and monitored by the word of God. I'm going to say it again. That is a great statement. Conscience is not a guide, but a goad. It must be educated and monitored by the word of God. If your conscience is not being shaped by God's word, you have a faulty conscience. You cannot trust your conscience. And far too often Christians think, well, God gave me the conscience to convict me. So if my conscience is not convicting me, then it must not be wrong. That is not what Scripture says. God can work through your conscience, but your conscience is not your guide. The Holy Spirit is your guide. And if you're not releasing yourself, submitting yourself to God's Holy Spirit, you're being guided the wrong way. Your conscience will take you off track, Christian or not. Your conscience will take you in a wrong direction. Conscience is the mental faculty 
by which man judges his actions and passes sentence thereon. Lastly tonight, look at Romans 2 and verse 16. God's judgment is devastating. God's judgment is devastating. Look at Romans 2 verse 16. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. That day's coming, folks. That day's coming. We're going to face God's judgment sooner or later. I think sooner, one way or the other. I think it's going to be sooner. All men are sinners. All men have faults. All are guilty before God. Does that mean we're not supposed to notice the faults of others and try to help them? No, God commands us to do that. And by the way, in order to do that, and we've talked about this before, in order to do what God commands us to do in Scripture, we do have to judge. We're going to be judges. We're supposed to be. But we're supposed to do it God's way. Far too often, we're judging out of the flesh. That's what he's talking about here in this passage. We're passing wrong judgment. We're judging them while acting as though we don't have faults. Shame on you. How dare you do that? Again, I'm, my, my, my pastor has, has told me often when we were in uh, Bible college and, and things and over the years, he said, you need to be careful how open you are with your people. Be careful how, how you just tell everything. I said, I, I can't. That's who I am. I have to. He says, yeah, but there's going to be people in your flock who will be weaker who won't understand. I said, well, I don't know what else to do. So I'm just very honest, sometimes to, to a fault. And it's happened just in the last couple years. Some things have happened, and, and, I've, and I've had to really check myself and say, you know what? You being honest has allowed this person or that person to start saying this and doing this. You do need to kind of watch how open you are. Let them know clearly I have faults, but you don't need to go into depth. You don't need to expand on those things. People, sometimes well-meaning people, will turn it around. It's not helpful to them, and it's not necessary. So it's one of the things that I'm working on, trying to not be quite so open, but it's who I am. I am just who you see, not perfect, not even close. Don't say anything, dear. Not even close. <laughs> She's sitting out there looking at me. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> not even close. I'm not perfect. I'm full of faults. Absolutely. But folks, if God can use me, he can use you. He will use you. Don't judge somebody else thinking you're all that. I freely admit, I'm a pastor. I'm in the ministry. I'm in God's word every day for hours. And I'm still full of faults. I can't look down my nose at some other believer and say, ah, I can't believe that. How dare they? How dare I do anything against God? That's how we need to look at it, folks. None of us, none of us are better than anyone else. None of us. If by God's grace you have been shown something and you have repented of it and turned away from it, praise God. They haven't seen it yet. How dare we look down our nose at that believer and say, man, I can't believe they're doing that. How dumb are they? 
Look at what they're doing. This is stupid. And we don't do that. We're full of faults. You are full of faults too. All of us. Remember that. When you go to help that brother or sister, God says to remember that could be you. There but by the grace of God go I. Don't go there saying, man, brother, you really messed up. You're dumb. No, we're all dumb when it comes to spiritual things. We all do stupid, foolish things. So when we go to help them, remember that. I do stupid, foolish things too. God forgives me when I see it and I repent of it. That's the key. God shows it to me. I'm willing to say, oh, you're right, God, I'm wrong. And I repent and turn from it. That's what you need to do, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. And I think God has led me to bring this to you and show you this. That's how you go to somebody. Here's some scripture. Maybe this can help you. Not going to them and saying, you're wrong here. I don't know what you're thinking. Quit being stupid. Don't do that. No. There's some people we could talk to like that when Kenny was alive. <laughs> I used to talk to him like that. That's not how you normally deal with people. That is not the, the general way we're supposed to do that. We're supposed to go there humbly and say, this is what Scripture says. I want to help you. God won't let me get away from this. Here's some verses. If you want to talk about it, I'm here for you. Love you, brother. Love you, sister. Here's God's, God, God's word. That's how we're supposed to do it. Not in a judgmental way from I'm superior, I don't have faults, I'm mostly a perfect Christian other than a few little things here and there, but you, boy, you're just a mess. No, no, that's wrong. It's a wrong spirit. God's going to judge our attitudes too, folks. We need to be careful how we say what we say. Speak the truth, but speak it in love. Speak it humbly, as Scripture says. Go to them humbly, considering thyself, Scripture says, lest thou also be tempted. Be careful. Don't be the hypocrite. Whenever we hear the word, we instantly say, it's not me. Really? Check yourself. It just might be. Be careful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you continue to work in our lives. Lord, if we are the hypocrite, help us to fix it. Lord, you, you show us these things not so we can try to bury it deeper and hope nobody sees it, hope nobody catches on. Lord, you show us these things so we can get rid of it, so we can clean it up and get it out of our lives by your grace, by your Holy Spirit, by the speaking of your word. And Lord, help us to do that tonight. Lord, maybe we know somebody else who's struggling with this. Maybe you laid a name on our heart right after the message started. And not that we're looking for that, not that we're looking to shovel it off onto somebody else, but you honestly laid that on our hearts. Lord, I pray we'll come to the altar and we'll give that person to you and ask you, Lord, do you want me to speak to that person? Do you want to use me to speak to them? If so, God, give me the words, give me the timing, give me the right spirit. Lord, help me to be effective to getting your word into their heart. Maybe they have a hardened conscience. Then again, as we examine ourselves, maybe we have a hardened conscience. Maybe we haven't been in God's word like we should. Maybe we haven't been open to whatever God says. And so we've hardened our hearts and we've hardened our conscience. Lord, whatever it is you're trying to deal with us tonight about, help us to be willing 
to say, yes, Lord, you're right, that's me, I'm wrong. God, help me to get this right for your honor and your glory. Speak to us tonight, Lord, in this invitation.